Before I start, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for welcoming me here today. Um, this week I've struggled with um, a few things at home and also this head cold. So I'm hoping that through whatever I have to say, you'll be able to hear me, but also hear what God has to say through me. I'm going to start by reading Psalm 23. It's most probably familiar to you, but here goes. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Now, today we are talking about a spiritual discipline that we all need to practice and we all need to understand. It is part of the Following the Way series. <laughs> yeah. Um, solitude. That's the one. Solitude. And it's something that we all need to practice and we all need to understand it. But to be honest, I find it rather ironic that I was asked to speak on it because, um, <clears throat> well, I could have said, who me? You know, actually, when I was growing up, I was nicknamed the chatterbox. I, I rather like talking. I rather like being with people. And I'm a natural people person, but I also am somebody who doesn't like silence. In conversation, I have to be careful not to dominate because I always fill the silences. Because actually, if we're honest, for a lot of us, silence can be awkward. It can be uncomfortable sometimes. And I'll admit, I'm not always very good at sitting still. I have to be knocked over by a head cold to actually be made to rest, which is why I love Psalm 23 so much, because Psalm 23 says, the Lord leads you by still waters, and he makes me lie down. And sometimes that's what I need. I need to be made to lie down. So from time to time, I have found that that's what I have to do. I have to be made to lie down. But when I am lying down in God's presence, metaphorically at least, that's when God restores my soul. And that's what Psalm 23 promises. I'm going to be taking you through a whistle-stop tour of different verses in the Bible, different references in the Bible to solitude. 
rather than focusing on one particular passage. And you'll see later on that Jesus, Jesus took time out from his busy day. Regardless of what was going on, he made time to be still. He made time to be alone. Because often that's an excuse that we make. Oh, I'm too busy. I've got too much on. I can't stop. I can't, I can't sit still. But if Jesus could find time to be alone, perhaps we should. But the word alone is actually quite a scary word, isn't it? For some, for some people, it's rather sought after. When you're in a hectic season of your life, actually a few minutes alone would be really helpful. But would we actually want to be alone? No. Most people don't really want to be absolutely alone because we are made in God's image and by nature we are made to be in community, in family, with other people, connected with people. So what happens? Often we will fight loneliness with loudness. Don't know about you, I go home, I put the radio on, sit in the car, turn the music on. I don't like quiet. I'm that kind of person. But sometimes hiding from silence and solitude because actually what frightens us most is actually ourselves and finding out what's underneath the surface within us. Sometimes it's easy to deal with others or easier than dealing with ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, we are so afraid of silence that we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order not to have to spend a moment alone with ourselves, in order not to have to look at ourselves in the mirror. And I wonder if that's you. So, what is solitude? Well, solitude according to um, spiritual, uh, spiritual terms, is a formative place because it gives God's spirit time and space to do deep work within us. When no one's there to watch or to judge or to interpret what we say, the spirit often brings us face to face with our hidden motives the world of recognition, achievement, and applause can disappear, and we stand squarely before God without props. It's a time of being away from others, which is hard to do sometimes. We may have to create a place and a time when we are to be by ourselves without others and let others know that this is our time and place and to not be disturbed. And as a spiritual discipline, solitude goes hand in hand with silence. You cannot be by yourself if there's all this other stuff going on, at least in your head. So how about now? Just take a moment for silence. Well, <laughs> without being disturbed too much by um, the thunder that's going on overhead. And see if you can still yourself just for a moment before God.
If we truly want to hear from God, we need to stop and listen. Howard and I, like Danny and Steve, go into Minch Primary School on a regular basis to lead collective worship. The children there are taught that if they're talking, they cannot hear properly. Kind of makes sense, really, doesn't it? And the same is true for us in a spiritual sense. If we want to hear from God, but always end up with a list of things to say to him, he can't always get a word in edgeways. It's not that he doesn't speak to us, but we can't hear him. Last week, when, or rather the last time I was in school, some of the children there were reminded that they have two ears and one mouth. So they should probably listen more than they speak. And we too should remind ourselves that prayer isn't just times when we talk to God. We need to give God a chance to talk to us too. Or rather, we need to deliberately stop and listen. Solitude is not the same as isolation, though. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that you're practicing solitude just because you stay at home on your own, or perhaps you live at home on your own. We are made in the image of God, and that means that we ought to be in community. Yes. And there are some times to be alone, and there are times in our lives when we will find ourselves on our own. Ecclesiastes 3 begins by telling us that there is a season for everything and a time for every matter under heaven. And Ecclesiastes 3 verse 7 says, there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And I believe we need to make time to keep silence from time to time. So why should we practice the discipline of solitude and silence? Well, those who want to follow Jesus want to hear God's voice better. It's a way that we can express our worship and our faith. Through silence, we can seek the will of God. And let's be honest, life can tire us out. And sometimes we need to regain perspective, God's perspective. Silence is really helpful sometimes, isn't it? Or, as Thomas Akempis said back in, oh goodness, 1441, when he wrote Imitation of Christ, in quiet and silence, the faithful soul makes progress. The hidden meanings of the scriptures become clear and the eyes weep with devotion every night. Even as one learns to grow still, he draws closer to the creator and further from the hurly-burly of the world. As one divests himself of friends and acquaintances, he is visited by God's holy angels, or God and his holy angels. So let's look at the Bible and see what examples the Bible gives us of solitude and silence. Well, solitude, I would suggest, is a place to meet with God. So Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, simply says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
Have you ever noticed that when the TV's on, it's harder to talk to people in the same room? Or it's harder to talk to somebody on the phone when there's distractions going on? How much harder is it to talk to God? Have you ever tried to talk to someone who's communicating, texting, messaging somebody on their phone, and you're trying to have a conversation with them? It's not only distracting, but it can help to make you feel as though their conversation they're having is more important than yours. We have a rule in our house, no phones at the dinner table. Because when we sit down to eat, we want to make sure the people around the table feel as though they are the most important people in the room. We're able then to ask each other how our day's been and check in with each other. For us, family time is important. The focus is on those who are present in the room. Likewise, when we sit down to read God's word or sit silently in his presence, putting our phones down, unless that is the method that you're reading your Bible, but putting our phones aside, setting our distractions away, shows God that our conversation with him is the most important thing that's going on for us at that time. So putting aside our distractions lets God know that we are serious about talking to him and hearing from him. Our time with him is a priority. Perhaps, we don't know, perhaps if Jacob was not on his own, he wouldn't have wrestled with the man. Solitude is also a place to wait for God to speak to us. As Psalm 62, verse 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. As Christians, we believe that God's Spirit is with us all the time. What's lacking for us is an awareness of God's presence with us. Making time for silence and solitude will not only give us a chance to pause and draw breath in a busy day, but also a chance to focus on his presence with us. And we might even see things from his perspective. It may perhaps give us a chance to be reminded that God is in control. Solitude is also a chance to find that God meets us where we're at and knows exactly what we need. I love this passage. 1 Kings 19, verse 11 and 12, simply says, God said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and a strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. This rendezvous between God and Elijah is literally a mountaintop experience which comes quite quickly after another mountaintop experience. That's the one where Elijah, on Mount Carmel, 
has a showdown between him and 450 prophets of Baal at the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. You may remember the story, but if you want to look it up later, it's in 1 Kings 18 and 19. Elijah challenges the 450 prophets of Baal to sacrifice to their God and ask their God to bring down fire. They pray all day and, well, Baal doesn't do anything. Elijah prays once and God brings down fire. The 450 prophets of Baal, sorry, that's the point where lots of children's stories stop. But anybody who knows their children's story of this version, of the, this story of the Bible, uh, be prepared. There is um, perhaps a PG warning here. Because the 450 prophets of Baal are killed, mostly by Elijah. And, um, and then some dramatic running happens. You can just imagine if this was in a film. Because um, Elijah runs faster, first of all, than King Ahab's chariot for about 25 miles. He picks up his skirts and runs. And then um, Queen Jezebel threatens to kill Elijah, and he runs for his life for in excess of 100 miles before leaving his servant. So I presume that his servant ran with him. We're not really told that. But before leaving his servant and then hiking into the wilderness for a day. How do you think Elijah was feeling? Tired? Exhausted? Perhaps physically drained? Perhaps emotionally and spiritually spent? It had been a bit like a roller coaster for him, let's be fair. And he felt alone, like he was one of the only genuine prophets working for God. And he's pictured under a broom tree, just before this verse, no doubt depressed and saying he wants to die. And what's God's response? He firstly lets Elijah sleep. And then an angel brings him food and drink before more sleep and more food and drink. I find it so encouraging that God knows what we need. And sometimes he knows that physical refreshment and nourishment are required before this spiritual refreshment comes. God shows he can also come and reveal himself in unexpected ways. God, who created the world, and as Jesus' disciples later would say, even the winds and the waves obey him, that same God didn't speak in a dramatic way to Elijah, but in the sound of a low whisper. If Elijah had not taken the time to be still and silent, waiting expectantly to hear from God, he may not have actually heard that whisper. Solitude is also a place of surrender. Many of us know the verse from Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. Knowing who God is, truly knowing, realizing 
taking it in for yourself, should make a difference. It would mean that we give up trying to be in control of our lives and being in charge. Instead, we look to God, realize that he and he alone is God. And then, only then we can acknowledge who God is and in turn be still. Kind of happens in a two-way thing. We're still, we then realize who he is and then that provides stillness inside, a kind of peace in our hearts. So it's not just physical stillness, but stillness of our hearts too. And leading on from that, solitude is a place to learn to trust. There are a number of places in the Bible where it says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And when I looked this up, I also was looking up um, the armor of God um, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which talks a number of times about things that you equip yourself with. But in that same paragraph, there are three times it says, so that you can stand. And here, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. It's not about us working hard, striving for success. If we're with God, doing what he wants us to do, we just have to be silent with him and let him do the hard work. At the parting of the Red Sea, God taught the Hebrews to trust and rely on him alone. And there's a theme throughout the whole of the Old Testament of remember. Remember who God is. Remember what he has done. Remember what he's done for you and for the people before you. And then trust. Trust that he will look after you in the same way in the future. And there's the same theme of trust being still, resting in knowledge of who God is. And alongside that, we need to remember that God is the one who listens, who hears our prayers, whether they're spoken or they're silent, and he does respond. Psalm 31 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Well, waiting requires stillness often, doesn't it? Stillness and hopefully some solitude. But then the promise in Isaiah 40 that those who do wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings like eagles. Waiting on in this context can be understood in the context of a student at the time sitting at the feet of their teacher, deliberately dwelling in his presence, wanting to wait and hear what he has to say. And all of that's before we go to the Gospels and find Jesus' example. Surely, if Jesus practiced solitude, as I said at the beginning, surely we should. And Jesus was a busy man. Lots of people wanted to see him. 
but he practiced this discipline. Mark 1, though, helps us to put Jesus' ministry into perspective. Because Mark 1, verse 12, the Spirit immediately, that is, directly after Jesus was baptized, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. It can seem kind of strange for us to think that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness because we think of the wilderness as a tough time of temptation. But for Jesus, it was important to start his time of ministry in solitude, getting away from things, getting away from people before his whole ministry kicked off. And Jesus began his ministry with 40 days in solitude, 40 formative days. No doubt Jesus intended to commune with God alone, but he also encountered the tempter in that place. In solitude, Jesus did battle with the possibilities of achieving his kingdom and identity in the power of self. He faced down the self that Satan offered and instead chose his true identity as the beloved son. Throughout his three years of ministry, Jesus returned again and again to solitude, where the rush of attention and the accolades of the crowds could be put into proper perspective. Solitude with God was a way that Jesus remained in touch with his true identity in God. No matter how well we do silence or we cope with silence, God is there to accept us and to receive us and to love us. God longs for us to be our true self in Christ. He wants us to know who we are meant to be. In solitude, we can see how little we embrace our true identity in Christ, and we can find the truth of who we are in Christ. We are the beloved, and God is pleased with us. And remember that identity is not earned. It's given. Remember, God spoke this identity over Jesus before he'd ever done any teaching or any ministry, any healing, any visiting people, or anything else. And then, yes, looking on. Matthew 14, after Jesus dismissed the crowds, that is, after the feeding of the 5,000. He went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 5, verse 16, Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And this, this verse in the, the, the original Greek has this sense of ongoing, I suppose you'd say present, continuous. It's continual practice. It was as though he was regularly withdrawing and regularly regularly withdrawing to pray. The increasing crowds, the unceasing demands on Jesus' time, and the fact that no one could duplicate his ministry did not deter Jesus from spending extensive times alone in prayer. And Luke 6, verse 12, In those days he went out to the mountain to pray, 
and all night he continued in prayer to God. For me, that emphasizes the importance that Jesus placed on prayer and on a one-to-one relationship with God. I must admit, I've never managed an all-nighter in prayer. But um, yeah, I imagine if you had the... If you had the strength to do so, you'd be super fired up, wouldn't you? And Luke 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Again, we can see that he was praying alone, although the disciples were with him. So he was kind of in a group, but yet perhaps to one side, taking time out. And then Luke 9, verse 28 to 29 says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And that is the beginning of the story that we know of as the transfiguration. Perhaps what he was doing was modeling with his disciples this discipline of solitude, taking time out to be apart with God. And Luke 22 is in the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before Jesus would be arrested. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw away from the disciples. So he was in community, but yet still taking time out to be on his own knowing that he would need to meet with God, to receive something from God, the Father, to be able to be equipped for the next chapter. But yet he was close enough for the disciples to hear. So how do we go about finding time in solitude in our lives? Well, can I suggest that you take advantage of every little snippet of solitude you can find in your day. Perhaps there might be moments before other people are awake. Perhaps if you don't use these little moments, you might miss them. Perhaps you might develop a quiet place in your home. We make playrooms, we make family rooms, space for sitting in front of the TV, so why not make a space to sit with God? It might be Inside, or it might be outside. Perhaps you've got a a deck chair you could take outside when the weather's a bit warmer. If you're a planner, you might want to book something in your diary. I I have been known to write simply TWG in my diary, which means time with God or tea with God. If you can book an appointment to have a coffee with a friend, why can't you have have a coffee or a tea with God? Make a cup of coffee sit on a bench in the garden or in the park, and without a book, without a phone, just sit and be with God. Or perhaps you are the kind of person who does journal and wants to have a book so that you can write down things, then go for it, fine. But I'm talking about not a reading book, specifically. You might want to notice what you see when you're still. You might want to notice creation. You might want to notice what God is reminding you of or revealing to you. Or perhaps you're not such a still sitting kind of person. Perhaps you're an active person and you want to have time alone with God whilst you're walking 
or whilst you're pottering about in the garden. But then make sure that is deliberate time with him. It doesn't matter what happens or when it happens, as long as you make time to do it. And perhaps you might want to try for a few minutes. Perhaps every now and again you want to try for an hour or perhaps even go for a quiet day. And if that's the case, if you would like a quiet day recommendation, then let me know. I'm sure I can let you know a couple of them. But set goals for yourself, for silence and solitude. But do understand that there are seasons for everything. And don't give yourself too much of a guilt trip. Before I had children, I used to always start my day with a quiet time, reading my Bible and praying before I got up in the morning. But when I had a baby, and when I had preschoolers, that all changed. Because they would often wake me up and demand my attention straight away. And I could not say, sorry, I haven't had my quiet time yet, please. Baby, stop crying because I need to... You can't always do that, can you? You have to find what's the right time for you and not feel guilty if you can't spend a long time, but spend what time you can with God. So be kind to yourself. Be understanding of your own challenges and your own commitments and your own space that you have. Right now, a minute silence might feel a long time. Or it may be that you can take it in turns with others to look after children or other responsibilities so that you can share a longer space. But do be aware, times of solitude can be sweet times, but they can also be challenging times. There can also be dark times when we feel like we're talking to God or sitting and waiting for God to talk to us and it feels like we're absolutely alone. We might seek God and it feels as though he doesn't show up. These times of testing have been known through the history of the church as dark nights of the soul like Jesus had perhaps in the wilderness or even whilst he was on the cross asking if God the Father had left him and they're well documented in stories of the saints in past times and even in recent times Mother Teresa who died 25 years ago was a hero of mine And she was one who admitted that she struggled with this too. If solitude with God does seem completely solitary, don't be afraid and don't give up. Stay with God. The light will eventually dawn. And what can come when we do have times of solitude? Well, there'll be the freedom from needing to be constantly stimulated by sounds around us. There'll be the liberation to be living in the identity that God gives us. There'll be time to internalize what's going on around you. And maybe being able to listen, to hear from God more. And a chance to grow more Christ-like. After all, if Jesus spent a lot of time on his own, working on his relationship with God the Father, shouldn't we? So just to conclude, I'll admit this is something that I am working on. It does require discipline, but I believe it's worth it. Because God meets us where we are at. 
And he loves to spend time with us. And he loves it when we devote time to him. You never know. Something dramatic might happen. You might hear an audible voice. But you might, in the stillness, just have a still, small voice of God. You might instead have a sense of peace, a sense of God's presence with you. Don't worry about what he would say to you. He's not an angry God. He's a God of love. And he wants to be with you, comforting, reassuring. And like the father looking out for the prodigal son, he'll be looking out for you to spend time with him and to stretch out his arms so he can give you a hug, like in that picture. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are always with us and you want us to deliberately choose to spend time with you in silence and in solitude with an attentive ear, wanting to hear from you and wanting, waiting to hear from you. Help us to find some time this week to set aside time to perhaps go for a walk with you or to sit and have a coffee with you and help us to be aware of your presence and to be able to discern your voice as we go about our week. Amen. Thank you, Coral. We're going to sing one song of reflection before we sing our final song together and Steve comes to conclude our service. We're going to sing Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. The Holy One is here. Don't feel you have to sing.